Well, good morning, friends. Uh, it is a joy to welcome you today. Those who are here in our Cornerstone service, welcome those at the Well and the Well Cafe this morning as well. If we have not met, my name is David. I serve as a senior pastor here, and it's good to be here with you. I'm excited that you are here because today we are beginning a brand new year. And with that, uh, I want to invite you, if you have your Bible, to open that to Luke chapter 10. Uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, you can find Luke 10 on page 1615 in the blue Bibles that we have available in all of our worship spaces. Would love for you to have that open. I'll read you that passage in just a moment. Uh, The idea of the series that we're beginning today is that uh, when we think about uh, life starting over, when we think about a fresh start, uh, the idea of of life being able to, uh, if you will, have a reset button, for for most of us, that's really closer to this period of time here in August rather than January, the start of a new calendar year, because uh, so much of our life revolves around Uh, the way in which the kids in our home or the kids in the community, uh, the way in which the seasons of their life are. And so for families in our church who sent kids back to school this week, for college-age individuals who are about to begin a new semester, or for those parents who moved that freshman into their dorm for the first time, uh, this is certainly the beginning of a new year. But for almost all of us, because of the life that we share together, this is really the start of a brand new year. And over the course of the next four weeks, what we want to do is we want to help you launch well into a brand new year. So we're going to begin with Luke chapter 10. Let me just tell you a few things about this passage before uh, I read it to you. The first thing I want you to know that for many of you, this is going to be familiar. This is going to be a story that you have heard before. And this is one of those uh, places in the Gospels where if you've read it before, you're naturally going to assume that you know everything else I'm going to say this morning. You're, You're going to think, I know that story. I've heard a sermon about this. I know exactly what this is about. Because this is not like some of the other passages that you find in the Gospels where you read them and you think, I have no idea what Jesus is talking about here. I need help. This is one where you think, well, this is an easy application. But stick with me for just a moment as we, as we unpack this. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 38, it says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me, exclamation point. Martha, Martha, Jesus answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. So here's the scene. Jesus and his disciples are on a journey. They're in need of a pit stop. They find themselves at the home of Mary and Martha. Perhaps those names are familiar to you. They're characters that you recognize. But this is the first time in the Gospel of Luke that we've met Mary and Martha. Though they are brand new to us in this story, we are certainly led to believe that they have already met Jesus at some point previously to this because they opened their home to 13 traveling men who were on their way way. Mary is there at the feet of Jesus listening to him teach, but Martha was distracted. She was worried about so many things that she, uh, that she missed the most important thing. And so we find ourselves there at verse, uh, verse 42 where Jesus responds and says to her, Martha, Martha, 
And that's bad, by the way. Like, you never want someone to say your name twice. Like, everything after that's going to be bad, right, Martha? You can imagine Jesus just shaking his head, Martha, Martha, you are worried about so many things. Mary has chosen the better thing, and it will not be taken from her. So again, it seems like, okay, very easy application. We're beginning a new year. You need to be more like Mary and less like Martha. You need to be more focused. You need to know what's important in your life. You need to make better decisions. So we're going to end early. I'm going to say a prayer. You're going to get to breakfast early, and everyone's going to be happy. Uh, And and here would be the only issue with that message. If we just stop right there and say, this is what it's all about. You're beginning a brand new year. You need to be more like Mary maybe less like Martha. The problem with that message is it assumes that the only thing that you're missing is desire. Well, if you just work a little bit harder at this, you'd do better. If you could somehow give 10 to 15 percent more effort in the new year, your tomorrow would look different to today. If you would just try a little bit harder. But here's the reality. We all desire to live with the focus of Mary. And we all tend towards the distracted life we see here in Mary's sister, Martha. I mean, have you ever heard anybody at the beginning of a brand new year say, I'm so worried. I can't sleep at night. I toss and I turn. I'm just so worried that good things are going to happen in my life this year, and I can't take it. I don't want any more good things. I need things to go poorly. No one thinks that way. The beginning of a brand new year, a new season, a fresh start, it's always a time for all of us where we think maybe life might be better. Maybe tomorrow might be different than today. Maybe there are changes that I can make in my life that will actually make a difference in my life. But perhaps over the course of time, as you've approached brand new days, new seasons, new years, you have come to recognize that tomorrow's often look very similar to today. And brand new days tend to look just like every other day. And maybe in that you've thought to yourself, well, some other people have the desire, other people have the capacity, but I don't. Uh, other people know the right decisions to make, but I, I don't. And maybe you even find yourself discouraged thinking, well, I don't want to talk about a new year. I'm taking three weeks off <laughs> because my tomorrows always look like today. So before I lose you, let me just invite you to consider this, that maybe, maybe it isn't about desire. Maybe what's missing isn't a a, a little bit of extra effort on your part. Maybe what leads our tomorrows to often look like today is a challenge that we all share. It's something that's common to us all. It's something that we all face, a, a temptation that's part of all of our life, and maybe understanding that temptation and challenge better is actually what will lead to tomorrow looking different than today. So let me see if I can explain this to you. I'm going to guess that most of you at some point in your life have participated in a meal that was served buffet style. Now, if you haven't ever done that in your life, uh, let me just kind of explain to you what that is. Again, I'm assuming most of you have. You've probably had a holiday meal where you've, uh, you've, you, it's been served buffet style. Or maybe the kids or the grandkids have dragged you to CeCe's Pizza for a wonderful night out, beautiful, great, nutritious, uh, healthy food there at CeCe's Pizza. Maybe you love Spring Creek Barbecue. You know what I'm talking about? You get in line and you tell them what meat you want and then they start bantering to one another and 
gibberish that doesn't make any sense. They give you your meat. And then you get to the vegetable section where you get to make the decision, right? And you see the green beans and you think, I should probably eat those, but they have mac and cheese. (laughs) And in the back of your mind, you're thinking the mac and cheese is probably just for the kids, but you get two helpings anyways. You know what I'm talking about? That's buffet style. So buffet style starts with a plate that's empty. And the food is set out, and when you are given the plate, there's nothing on it. You are given the awesome power and authority of choosing what it is that goes on that plate. And if you have ever had a meal buffet style, here's what you've also probably noticed. When the serving spoon is in your hand, the plate is always too small. And you find yourself thinking, when did we get these plates? We used to have much bigger plates. I don't understand. Because you fill it up with so much stuff. You you, you get down to your seat and you think, how in the world am I going to eat all this? We even have a phrase for this. We say, our eyes were bigger than our stomach. Uh, In the midst of of so many things, when when the choices are are unlimited, when, when it's all laid out before us, it's hard to be intentional. It's hard to think about what the actual best choice might be. It's hard to choose the better things when there are too many things. And this is what, this is what our life often looks like. A life is a, is a buffet and we fill it with so much stuff that the plate of our life is just overflowing with stuff. And, and in the midst of so many things, it's really hard to choose the better thing. I mean, if you offer me chicken or fish, that's easy. I know what my answer is going to be to that. When the choices are limited, the percentages associated with making a better choice, they go way up. But we fill our life with so much stuff, it's hard to make the better choice. Listen, Listen to the wisdom of Psalm 90 verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, Lord, would you help me understand that there is a limit to my life so that I don't make the mistake of wasting my life? Uh, Author Bronnie Ware worked for many years as a hospice nurse and and out of that, uh, she felt compelled to, to capture some of the learnings that she experienced in her own life. What she learned about life from serving and sharing life who were pacing the end of their life. She shared that in her book, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, and this is how she articulated what she learned over the course of time, what she heard over and over and over again as she served and cared for her her patients and and, and families. Uh, I wish I had let myself be happier. At the end of of life, the the, the final days, the, the, the regret of, gosh, I wish I would have embraced more of the joy that is my life. I wish that I had stayed in touch with friends. I wish I hadn't walked away from relationships that were valuable and meaningful, not only for me, but for others. And I wish I hadn't let those go. I I wish that I'd had the courage to express my feelings, to be more honest than maybe I was, to, to be willing to listen to things that maybe I didn't. I wish I'd had that level of courage. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. And if any one of those just kind of hits you in the gut, here's why. 
we often treat life like it's an unlimited buffet. And we think we, there's endless possibilities, there's all sorts of choices. We somehow convince ourselves into believing and thinking everything that we want to do, everything that we want to achieve, everything that we hope life will be, somehow we're going to fit it all on that plate. We're never going to have to make the hard choice between this or that. We can somehow do it all because life is, a, is an unlimited buffet. This is the lie of the unlimited life and the challenge is we are also tempted to believe it. We are also tempted to believe that there will be many days to come, endless possibilities of what we might do, never having to say no to certain things so that we can say yes to other things. And so at the beginning of a brand new year, where you get the chance to have a fresh start and you think about the promise that Jesus offers in John 10, 10, Jesus says, I've come that they might have life and life to the full. Doesn't that sound good? Here's the irony, fullness of life is always tied to an understanding of the limits of life. Let me invite you to hear some uncomfortable truths. You will not be able to do everything you want to do. At the end of your life, regardless of how lengthy that bucket list is, you won't get to do everything. You will not be able to achieve everything that you want to achieve in your life. Because there's a limit to your life. All of those aspirations, all of those dreams, all, all of those hopes, not every one of them will have the chance to be fulfilled despite your most fervent prayers. God has no interest in adding any more hours to your 24-hour day. So you can keep praying that prayer, but it's not going to make any difference. You will reap what you sow, which is either really, really good news or not so good news. You're going to need help in your life. You probably need more than you're getting right now. You need it today, you need it tomorrow because you're not the savior of the world. You're not the center of the world. And though you are tempted to believe this, your shoulders cannot carry the weight of the world. Life isn't fair. Life isn't fair. And it's never gonna be fair. Tomorrow is not, and it never will be a guarantee. Every life has a beginning and every life has an end and you have the power to choose what you decide to put on the plate that is your life. So as you leave today, some of you may have picked this up when, when you were coming in, uh, as you leave today, we have, we have something we want you to take with you as a tool, a resource for you to use as you begin a brand new year. Uh, it's a marker uh, that you will receive, and, and here's what I need to warn you about. This marker is different than this marker, okay? This is your standard Expo low odor dry erase marker, okay? This is what you would like to use if you want to write on a whiteboard and erase it later so that you can use the whiteboard again. This marker, if you take this home and use this on your whiteboard, you will need to buy a new whiteboard. Uh, you will have made a new artistic work to hang in your house, but you'll need to replace that later because this is a permanent marker. This is a marker where the ink is designed to last forever. This is a marker 
marker that you would want to use to write down something that is constant, something that is never going to change, something that you never want to forget, something that is so essential to you in your life, you want to make sure it never, ever fades away. If you want something that is temporary, if you want something that is, uh, you're going to erase later, it's important now, but not important later, this is not the marker you want to use. Because this is a marker where you're going to write things that are worthy of being etched in stone. (laughs) Things that are so important to you in your life, they have that level of value in your life. And there are things in your life that are worthy of that. And there are lots of things that aren't. And in the midst of so many things, an easy mistake to make is to assume that some things are important that are not. Some things are vital that are not. Some things you can't imagine life being without and the challenge of life is you've got to let that go because that's something that should be written with this and not with this. There's things that are important. There's things that are high in in terms of their value. There's things that you can never forget in your life. And there's things that as you begin a brand new year, the challenge might be I got to let that go. So we're giving this to you, hoping that this week you're going to go home and you're going to prayerfully consider this question, what's the most important thing for me in my life and launching into a new season, a new year of my life? What is the focus, the singular focus that I want to hold before me as I begin a brand new year? Is it a word? Is it the word humble? You just need to put that before you. That needs to be your focus. That's the most important thing to where you are in your life right now. Is it a relationship? Is it a person in your life? Is it your spouse, your child, a close friend? Is it a category of your life? Is it your health? Is it, is it relationships at home? What might it be? Is it a phrase? But invite you to, to do the difficult work of claiming a singular focus as you begin a brand new year, recognizing that we have this temptation to believe that, man, this plate will fit everything, but it won't. And it's so easy in the midst of so many things to make the wrong choice. So let me tell you a story to illustrate that. Many years ago, I was at a conference. This was when I was serving as a, uh, as a student ministry pastor. And I, at this conference, I went to a workshop. And I know this may not sound like the most exciting workshop to you, but I was really excited to see this. It was about how to make your confirmation experience more meaningful for students and their families. Now, if you don't know what that is, confirmation in our church is a class. It's uh, 10 weeks for us uh, that we do in the spring for our sixth grade students. Now, not everybody goes through it in sixth grade. We have some older students uh, who, who missed in sixth grade, who often participate. But the purpose of confirmation is to introduce to young people the basics of the Christian faith. And in introducing them to that, uh, the further goal is to invite them to claim responsibility for that faith. These are individuals, young people who have grown up in the life of the church. Their parents have brought them here because they think this is important. And what we hope to do in a rite of passage type process is to invite students to claim that for themselves. To say this is more than just mom's faith or dad's faith. I want to take responsibility for this in my own life. I want to take this next step. It's a really big deal. So how can we make this more meaningful for students and families? And there were lots of different ideas that the presenter shared. Lots of ideas that we've implemented in what we do week in, uh, year in and year out uh, with our students. But at the very end of that, this is, this is what he said. He said, we've implemented all these things in our, in our program. We've seen them make meaningful differences in the lives of students and in their families. They've, they've shared with us their appreciation for each and every one of these things. But if you don't do this last thing, none of that will matter. 
You'll hope for this to be a, a big change, something really great, but if you don't do this, then, then, then it's not gonna make the impact that you really want it to make. He said at the very end, uh, what, what you have to know is the most important thing that you do is you have to raise the bar of expectations. And so when you sit down with students and when you talk to their parents about what confirmation means, you have to make them understand how important this is to you, how important this is to the church, and how important you believe it is to them. And the way in which you communicate that, he said, here's what we do in our, in our program, in our process, it's 12 weeks long. We tell parents, hey, if you want to have that moment at the end of the confirmation, if you want uh, to be a part of that service, your child to be a part of that service where they dress up in their Sunday best, I mean, it's sort of like graduation, pomp and circumstance kind of thing, and they come down to the front and they, they profess their faith, and then we have a reception and everybody eats too many cookies and has all the pictures. If you want that to be a part, uh, uh, what, what they experience at the end of this over the course of 12 weeks, they can't miss more than two, or they'll have to do it again, because that's how important this is. That's how, that's how essential this investment is. And so I'm sitting there in this workshop with all these other youth pastors, and everybody just starts squirming in their chair, like, I don't want to tell my parents that. I don't want to see the pitchforks and the torches. That's not a good idea. They're going to be very mad at me if I raise an expectation like that. Uh, and so someone finally bravely raised their hand and said something like, I really want to follow Jesus, but I'm not actually trying to get crucified. So how do you handle the, when a parent gets mad at you because you've raised the expectation? And this is the story that he shared with us. Uh, he, I don't remember anything else from the conference, but I'll never forget what he said in response to this question. He said, I had a parent come to me the first year we did this. She came up afterwards and she said, I got to talk to you. She said, we, we really think this is important. Uh, we want, our, uh, want this to be meaningful for our son, but you got to understand this. My, my son plays baseball and, and, and we think this is important, but baseball sometimes gets in the way and, and we don't make the schedule. They just give it to us. It's just here, you've got to do all these things. This is when practice is, this is when the games are, and he's got baseball. And so I don't think we can make this expectation. We just need you to know, what are we going to do? Because he's got baseball. And he said, I listened to her with grace. And he said, my response was this. He said, I, I know your son and I love your son. And I know that your son loves baseball because I love baseball. And one of the things that we talk about, one of the things that we've connected on is baseball and how much he loves baseball. And I really want him to be a part of this process. I want him to, to be invested in this. And, and, and so what I want to invite you to, to just to hear from me in terms of how I feel about this and, and how I want to invite you to, to, to feel about what, what, we're, what we're offering for your son. I, I need you to know this is not baseball. I love baseball. It's great. It's wonderful. But that's not what we're doing here. That's not what this is. This is about making an eternal difference in the life of your son. It's not baseball. Nothing wrong with baseball. Baseball's good. Baseball's awesome. I love baseball. But that's not what this is. This isn't that. They're not the same thing. They're not worth the same thing. They don't have the same value. This is more important than that. And I wonder if, as you begin a brand new year, if your tomorrow could look so much different than today if you just had the courage to say to yourself, this is more important than that. And I can lose that. I can't afford to lose this. This is more important than that. And so the decisions I'm gonna make, the way forward that I'm gonna follow, it's gonna be based on the idea that 
this is what really matters. This is what will make a difference for my future, and that, that is something that I can, I can leave behind. So let me share what may be for some of you a prophetic word, which by the way, a prophetic word is not a prediction of your future, it's a warning of what it might look like. Some of you might say to yourself, right now, my hobby is not worth losing my marriage. My hobby is not worth losing my marriage. The security that I hope to find in a 401k is not worth the regret of a forgettable life. Living in the past, hoping that one day I'll be somehow able to change the past, that's not worth losing the potential of a better future. Your desire for success, your ambition to succeed, your hope that one day you're going to get that promotion, you're going to move to that next step, you're going to conquer that next plateau. It's not worth losing a relationship with your son or with your daughter. That's a trade that's not worth making. Indulging in your need for more, it's not worth the risk of everything that you stand to lose. Martha was distracted by so many things and we all know what that's like and we all know how easy it is to make the wrong choice. And so your homework is to think about where in your life you need to say this is more important than that. Homework that you don't have to turn in, you don't have to tell anybody whether you did it or not, but at the end of the day, you cannot say I didn't warn you. Because for all of us, it's so easy to believe the lie of the unlimited life. It's so easy to make the wrong choice, to sacrifice something that is so valuable for something that just isn't worth it. What is it that needs to be etched in stone, written with a permanent marker in your life as you begin a brand new year saying, this, this is the most important thing. Let's pray together. Loving and gracious God, I pray that you would teach us how to count, how to number our days, how to fully understand what our life is really all about, the scope of it, also, Lord, the limit of it. Enable us to gain that heart of wisdom. Lord, we pray that you would help us to know the limits of life. Enable us, Lord, to avoid the mistake of wasting our life. Help us, Lord, to make the better choice. Uh, doing so, Lord, firm in our commitment to your narrow way. Unwilling to simply learn about this life to the full you offer, but with faithfulness and courage, seeking to live it with you each and every day. Lord, I pray for individuals in our church, families in our church who are at, at a crossroads in their life. They may not even know it, Lord, but the decision of today and tomorrow and these days ahead could make all the difference in their life. And so by your spirit, guide them and protect them and lead them. Help us each, Lord, to make the choices we need to make that enable the future that you would call us to pursue. It's a brand new year. Lord, help us to live it well. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.